All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. Uh, he's been traveling everywhere, but he's coming back to you with a little bit of a history lesson today. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Welcome wow. back. I feel like we're brought back together like Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Oh, How are we not on the air when this happened, Denny? It's the perfect mashup of sports and pop culture and music and love that and we've gossip. been waiting for. <laughs> it's everything we've been, the tune-up's been waiting for, this story. I had, so... I'm glad that we were able to take a beat with this, right? Because at first I'm like, oh my gosh, Roger Goodell and the guys up there in, in Midtown Manhattan, this is all a play. They see that how can we get women age 18 to 35 into the NFL? Let's bring in Taylor. That's where I was for about, you know, most of this up until this past weekend so i'm glad that that this story's had time to mature yeah because there were some pictures of them out doing the nobu thing doing the catch thing in the city very i you know you think taylor's lived here a while that she wouldn't be on that but she is but you know they're holding each other at least photographed if this was a strictly business thing i don't think you oh, see the pda i don't think so though the one thing i think about too is like you know, I'm not going to give Travis Kelsey that amount of credit because I really don't know. And he hasn't he's been in a sports spotlight, but anyone outside of the sports spectrum didn't know who the fuck Travis Kelsey was yeah. until, you know, a couple months ago. You know, I got to assume Taylor Swift's not showing up in that box until the foundation's already been settled. You know, it's not like they went on like odd date sort of liked each other and then she showed up in the box. Yeah. without making up her mind yet. You know what I mean? I got to assume there was some track record and they like officially were like, all right, are we ready? Are you going to come in the box? Cause you know, the thing's going to happen. Yeah. So I, I, I do think like, and they seem to like that, you know, the parents knew each other and like, like there's a level of secret intimacy that I do think we haven't been let in on um, in order to even make it public. Uh, so, so I think there's that part of it for sure. Like, there's no way they just like jumped the gun on that one. Taylor's as we've discussed for years on this podcast, Taylor mm -hmm. too smart for that. Too smart. For that. One thing I find hilarious about it is like, what do you think of when you think of tight end? You know, like I think of Mark Bavaro, oh. I think of Gronkowski. Yeah. I think of like hard nosed, flat faced, white guys blocking and catching six yard passes and getting out of bounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like one of the uglier positions in football. There's been a couple people who've made it sort of pretty, you know, you're, you're Antonio Gates, you're Tony Gonzalez, you're Travis Kelsey's. But even when I'm watching this game, you know, you're watching a dozen people on the field doing things that are much more entertaining to watch than yeah. what Kelsey does. Like, even on a great 12-yard Travis Kelsey play, he's still a giant clunky tight end. Got a Tyreek Hill out there <laughs> zipping around and, like, really putting on a show. He can't. He's a tight end. So I think that's a funny part of it. And even though, you know, you can make a case for him as the or one of the greatest receiving tight ends in history, right? Yeah. He's up there. Yeah, you know? he's got to be. Like, maybe not too well. Oh. But, but, you know, he's up there. And... 
So I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I do think it's funny that's the position she chose. That is all. It's a new-ish development, and you know, you know, football goes back a hundred years, and for eighty of it, it was like strictly like block and get your hand yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah, dirt. Yeah. So it's like the greatest. It's like like okay, we're going back to what two thousand, but I do think it, it's it's interesting. Um, the the entire machinations behind this. Now, here's when I'm going to be in on this hook, line, and sinker. The movie came out, her, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, her yeah. Eras tour that we talked about all summer. The movie came out this weekend. She's on SNL. He's on SNL in, in little cute cameos this weekend. The, well, I want to see rolled this. Out. This was rolled out. This was we're, rolled we out. We are obviously in the middle of a publicity rollout. Yeah. Now, I want to see this. Uh, December in Kansas City. That's true love. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. If we're still there in the dead of winter, yeah, yeah in the dog days. Now nah, we'll see. Listen, I'm you know me. I'm an optimist. Yeah, I'm rooting for Travis and Taylor. Yeah. Oh yeah, two young, beautiful, rich kids have yeah. a great life. I hope you do good things out there, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm root. I'm rooting for you. I hope it's real. I hope they found love. I am a little annoyed. At the the panning to Taylor Swift reactions every four seconds at the game, it's just like, bit, yeah. it's like, come on, stick to the stick to the ball here. But you got, I mean, you got to do it right because yeah. there's there's Swifties tuning into the games now. You know, got to play the game, and Taylor look, Swift's the boss of the game these days. Look at us coming back to dudes just talking about somebody's love life. That's a little problematic, but you know what? We're back. We're talking about. Music history, sports history, and what better way to get our show here kicked off than with this day in music history. Had to had to build it up there. It's been a minute. That was that was I was on the edge of my seat. It was like John Wick. What do you got? So you know, this was one of those days you're looking through, and I'm like, eh, yeah, Eminem was born. Leonard Skinner died. It was like nothing fun here. And the thing I found is in 1998, the song One Week by Bare Naked Ladies oh. hits number one in the U.S. where it stays for one week. One week. Mm. But I should say, you know, one of the reasons I brought this up is where thick in 25 years later, right, of this song where, uh, you know, you, you were only number one for one week. It's like, you know, industry would have dictated that you, you would have been uh, inactive in the music industry and not making money and totally irrelevant by this point based on that fact. And now that time, the, the time tested uh, thing has gone through, the 90s have stayed. Yeah. People love the 90s and they love the hits of the 90s. Like, I wonder in like 10 or 20 years, are these weird songs going to be looked at by kids as like these weird doo-wop songs that we think are all dusty and cool just because we weren't around for them, but it was pop music for them. It was the shit that was on the radio and now it's just cool. And to think that the bare naked ladies will one day be the same as like the Ronettes is uh, kind of hilarious to me. I feel only at like Christmas time if they have like a like Christmas thing. Well, because also while we were gone, we missed the 
the kind of lukewarm return of in sync that kind of uh panned out oh did that not go well that i i feel like it hasn't gone well let it's justin justin's in just well other guys all of them all of them back and it got like kind of awkward because so they were going to the VMAs, which happened at the lovely Prudential Center. You played there in Newark, New Jersey. Been there, been and they're in like a sprinter van in the Home Depot in Jersey City. Here's the parking lot. I'm like, this is not how you glamorously travel. But anyway. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's Benny, let's <laughs> boy. We have you no know, just like kick just, it off the dust. Just like a, uh, a, a a receiver trying to uh, rerun their or relearn how to run their routes. We're gonna keep it moving here. Uh, <laughs> all right, Benny. On this day in 1970, the Jackson Five started a five-week run. I I always hate when it's a five-week run because I can never say that. A five-week run at number one on the U.S. Singles Charge with "I'll Be There." <laughs> I, I gotta stop that. I've been doing more singing on this podcast. Than I think you gotta go deeper. I'll be there. <laughs> All right, the get that bass. Fourth number one of You're getting older. You know, remember the bass comes out when you get older, Denny. It's all about the bass. Yeah. Uh, made number four in the UK as well. Motown Records claimed the group had sold over ten million records that year. Ten million mm. records in just that year. So this day, nineteen seventy. Uh, the Jackson Five add another historic accomplishment. Man, the Jacksons. I don't know. Are we like? I'm still on the fence. Am I allowed to listen to the Jacksons? Jackson. Am I allowed to listen to Michael Jackson? Do you? Come on, I listen. <laughs> I'm gonna be problematic. Sure, but you know what? The radio does it too. The radio wow. has oh. you know they don't quite play Man in the Mirror as much as they used to, but they but they, they'll be like. They love to play black and white. That's for sure. I know. It's like when I when I watch Lawrence Taylor highlights, and I just have to ignore all the other stuff. I'm like, look at that hit. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Great fucking songs. It's uh, he's he's got some great. Yeah. Well, there was another this day in music history about his uh, his his trial attorney quitting in the 2000s. Yeah. But I wanted to keep it optimistic. Yeah, we'll keep episode. It yeah, I've yeah, already we'll... canceled myself. But... By saying oh, he's got great songs. Apparently that doesn't exist. Apparently you know, the whole cancel conversation that we've been having for the entire duration of this, apparently it's not real. So Oh, it's over? Apparently it's over. That's yeah. what that's what that's Who what my declared in- that. That's what my industry plants have Joe Rogan declared it. <laughs> I don't know. You've been in his country a whole lot more than I have. All right. Do you want to get to uh the queen that we talked about of pop music and popular more culture swift. as more in, yeah, swift a little more bit more swift. swift so you know we've talked about how she's put out the feature length presentation of her concert um not only has it become has it saved the fall box office because there's really not much else out there that would speak to the masses but it hit a 95 to 97 million dollar domestic debut, 130 million dollars globally. Um, and that's going right up there with some of the best debuts in the fall uh, ever, including The Joker, which has like decades of, of IP and interest in people. Yeah. Uh, Joker in 2019 hit 96 million. Uh, just an impressive performance all around, you know. I don't think when when the Eras tour started, like we knew it, it was going to be a stadium tour. I didn't think we expected it to be this like cultural, yeah, like Gen Z Woodstock. I'm yeah, not- no, it's like it's completely changed everything. And you know, 
the way she's handling it and and the way this movie is rolling out like everything about it is perfect what can i say i haven't seen it though and here's where i you know I, i i can't comment too much on what it is and how it's going one thing i found really interesting and one of the reasons i love the tune up is because it allows me to say the sentence I stumbled upon a Hollywood reporter article because that would never happen unless you and I did this podcast together. Um, Keeping me relevant. I love it. But, you know, some social media sites and people, I guess, specific people were attacking like the interactive experience, like lauding the fact that, uh, no, I'm sorry. Like some people were, like, this is the worst movie experience I ever had. I couldn't even hear Taylor. People are, like, singing and dancing and the thing. You know, of course, curmudgeons. And, you know, from my understanding, uh, you know, the theater was even like, sure, it's encouraged. Just don't go up on the seats. And then one of, you know, Taylor's first statement, she said, you know, singing and dancing is encouraged. And one thing, like, if you, you know... uh laud the experiential thing like we've been talking for a long time about like what's going to save the movie theater and what's going to come into the movie theater and like this could be another step you know the fact that like uh sure a lot of people saw that concert a lot of people didn't because it's fucking expensive you know if you had like three kids and you lived out of town and you were trying to go see taylor swift like not everyone's got 500 thousand dollars to fucking kick around to just go see taylor swift some people got 50 bucks laying around where you can get some popcorn and go to this fucking show so you know in that sense i kind of really love it and it sort of brings a secondary concert experience especially if you let people fucking sing and dance in the aisles and actually get into it and treat it as like kind of a concert you know and I think uh, rather than telling people to sit down, they should probably lean into it and kind of look more into this interactive movie experience because that's maybe where they should go to save themselves, you know? I got to push back on this 100%. I'm going to be the curmudgeon here. You know, 30 Uh is rapidly... Uh Uh-oh. We cannot sure Taylor is like one thing, but you, you you know it's never just one thing when people try to adapt this whole like oh yeah like Taylor people could like sing and, and dance no then it's gonna be everybody there's already way too much talking and texting in the movie theater I go to the movie theater I want to be immersed in the experience I do not want Susie and her three kids from uh manalapin to be coming in here and they're just think it's okay to talk through the entire movie i don't think so and that is what this leads to well here but then this is where uh, listen i'm not an anarchist any (laughs) i do believe in 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 some reasonable regulation to things so why instead you know like you know how we have like a quiet car in the train yeah and the rest of the train can do their thing interactive movies Mm. non-interactive movies easy even maybe let's kick out a few seats open up a little more floor space for the interactive ones you know it's got to be separate of course because i'm not trying to see uh oppenheimer like i saw a couple weeks ago with someone going come on blow up (laughs) you know like then i would be pissed sure um so 
I, I think that's where it goes. You know, a well-regulated militia, Denny. Please, I love it because <laughs> yeah, because the NRA is gonna love that. Yeah. Um. But by the way, you saw Oppenheimer. I, I saw that. I did. What did you think? Because we got a, a Scorsese fan- movie. Coming I thought out. it was fantastic. Mm. I really did. I I was gripped by the whole thing. I was stunned that they made like at times what's kind of like an innocuous like political butchery story like so exciting you know and i was really uh yeah no i thought it was fantastic like i really i was i was engaged and interested the entire time i watched it i love it that's what people come to the tune-up for a oppenheimer review four months later i love it this is the best part about touring for me honestly it's like no, I'm not going to say that. It's not the best part. But <laughs> it's an ancillary part about yeah. touring for me is that I get to kind of like I get the time to reconnect with pop culture a little bit. You I know, I get to the movies. I watch movies on planes. I read some more books. I like, you know, I get a little more engaged in in that side of things. I caught the new Wes Anderson movie. I saw the No Hard Feelings went back and then checked out Chinatown and some old movies. Yeah. Having a nice time out here. I love it. Since we're here and we didn't get to it in the top uh, tour. How was it? You know, you played Vegas. That's going to touch on, uh, on the story we talked on in a a little bit, but yeah, you got out and you shook the hands and you kissed the babies. I did a little, but honestly, like, you know, in some of these places at the age I'm at, you know, like, like, I spent a day in Vegas, right? Yeah. I spent most of that day inside of a courtyard Marriott, uh, sleeping and eating snacks off the bus and uh, doing nothing (laughs) and continually saying to myself, hey, you've been to Vegas a lot of times. You're tired. You're out here for a reason. Yeah. The reason is to play a good show. Right. Like and whatever I got to do to cater to that. And the older I get, I got to fucking relax when I'm not playing. And I got to stop forcing myself to be like, oh, wow, there's this really interesting, uh, you know, subdivision Negro League museum 1.8 miles from here that I think I can get to before sound check, because when am I going to be in Wichita again? You know, um, I've kind of. I try to to be as experiential as I can, but I got to be smart too. And with all my ailments and stuff, you know, like even take for instance, one night, uh, Brian who plays keys in in Mm -hmm. with Gaslight now, um, is big Cowboys fan. Another you know, another conversation. (laughs) But uh, you know, so they 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 wind up at a Buffalo Wild Wings. It's the only place around our hotel and they're watching football and I got to make the, 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 I got to make the decision. I'm like, you know what? I'm sticking with these games in, in my room where I got like some fruit and some water and the TV. And if I go to that Buffalo wild wings, I know I'm going to have two shitty beers. I'm going to have a plate of Mott sticks. I'm not going to be good. And then I'm going to feel like shit tomorrow. And then I'm going to be farting all day and then I won't play as well tomorrow night. So it's all part of this, like (laughs) this loop around, you know, where I'm, I'm trying so hard to stay out of like the, you know, the bad things that come your way when you're on the road. It's just so easy to just get, 
get ignorant just one night, <laughs> you know, and but it can totally throw you off like the rest of the tour. So I actually this is the second tour in a row. I didn't have a sip of alcohol in the entire tour. Yes, love yeah, it. Clarity. That's that's the book right there. Obviously, not the alcohol part. It's like like aging in the spotlight, the Benny Horowitz story. <laughs> Option that is I gotta say. Now. Well, I I say it all the time. I've said to my wife for years, when you hit a certain age, you gotta go Lemmy, you gotta go sting. <laughs> Lemmy or Sting. It's one or the other. And you know what? Like Lemmy's dead. <laughs> And uh, Sting's going to be having sex till he's like 90. <laughs> so I'm trying to go that way. You know what I mean? Well, surprisingly enough, Sting is one of the people that is rumored to be playing the Sphere in Vegas, oh, the city that we just talked about coming well up soon done. as we bring this back around. <laughs> but the Sphere in Vegas, and you know, we briefly talked about it in the summer. I, I was out in Vegas for Summer League, flew in. It was like a lit up moon in the desert. Unbelievable. Uh, this this may be James Stone's crowning accomplishment because the Knicks aren't going to win as long as he owns the team. But the the Sphere concert venue in Vegas cost $2.3 billion, owned by the Madison Square Garden Group, and it opened up a few weeks ago uh, with two concerts by U2. And as I pull up, and it's just so that the people can get a sense of what it's like to be in the sphere, now we're doing the tune-up in the sphere yeah. for oh, yeah, the viewing audience at, at home. And essentially what this concert venue is, and I know that you've all probably seen the pictures already, it is a concert venue with an IMAX screen behind it with stadium seating. And it makes for, as you know, not, not to be obvious here, but a sphere, a next level concert going experience. Uh, Benny, you saw it. You had some videos on the phone. Um, just looking at it and all the videos, what do you think that this means for like the next generation of concert venues? It seemingly means a lot. Yeah. And I think I was even on this program, you know, maybe two, three months ago, maybe longer, even when they were talking about constructing it and the idea behind it. And I'm looking around at all these struggling musicians all around me going like, yeah, this is what we need. You know, it's a lot of money. You know, should maybe go another way. And then honestly, it gets complete. I see videos of this YouTube show and then I see it in person. I also had some anecdotal uh, stories where I talked to someone who was at that U2 show who works in the business and another buddy of mine who works for Coldplay who was out there who was talking about it. And, you know, even though I do think it's a wild misappropriation of funds, like so are, you know, space shuttles if, if we break it down like that. And the one thing I do think we can take away from it is it's like an incredible marvel of like yeah. human achievement. It's cool as fuck. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where at first I'm like, ah, why are we doing this? And then I saw it and I'm like, I kind of know why we're doing this because it's some cool next level shit. And sometimes when I lose faith in humanity as being completely worthless and not worthy of this earth, I see things like this fear and I go, we're pretty cool. <laughs> you know, we can build some pretty cool shit sometimes. <laughs> like, like that's awesome. You know? And, and I did that, that night, uh, same night I was in Vegas, you know, I had a lazy day, which meant a fairly sleepless night, of course. And, um, you know, the patio of my courtyard Marriott, uh, you know, looked over the highway to the sphere and all night long, this thing is just changing its patterns and, and turning into different things. And there's this funny face that pops up that just like, looks like just this random thing, like talking to you from like a mile away the globe, you know, the moon. 
And it's, I don't know, it's pretty fucking cool. So I think at this point I'm pro sphere. The only thing I'm thinking now is like, you know, you two and then there's a selected amount of groups, I think, who can use this thing effectively. Um, And so I do think it's not going to be your typical concert venue in like, hey, we do like 250 shows a year. You know, and all these bands come through like we're a touring venue. I think it's going to be more residencies and experiential stuff just because of, I think, the scope of setting up a show in a place like that, you know. Um, and I think bands who are already kind of counterfeited for like arena and stadium experiences might be some of the few bands who could only play there, you know. Yeah. I feel like this venue is almost like a day late and a, a dollar short because some of the major acts that would have done incredible things with this, like your like princes, like I feel like 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 Rush, Teddy, yeah, Rush would have had like like a whole thing going on here. So, but it, it is for the modern time now. What they're gonna do? I like I feel like somebody like Harry Styles has been you know, and he puts together like it's not quite like the spectacle, even though he tries to do it, he's been rumored to play there as long as they don't make it like, I don't know, people that don't have a creative center. If well, like all these people have a creative center, yeah, but like, they'll, they'll hire people yeah, who yeah, have yeah. creative centers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, what the, that's what the smart pop artists do. <laughs> They hire extremely creative and talented people. Make me have taste. Pay them a lot of money and then say, yeah, make me look oh. like I have taste. Exactly. Well, so. <laughs> maybe I feel less great about this than I did than when we started it. But I still believe that maybe this allows somebody else to have, you know, to, to become like the next Grateful Dead, the, the next fish that make the immersive concept, concert experience. Yeah, no, I think it's coming. And it, it's going to it's going to allow things to kind of step up to like another level, which I'm, I'm excited about. I don't know. Should be cool. It's funny that you brought up, uh, you know, th- it being like the high end of the concert experience versus the uh, the the artist that's struggling to, to make way while we were gone. Uh, Live Nation came in and you can fill it in better than I can. Uh, they they cut the fees on merch in the venues while while we were away. Certain venues, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I don't really want to like speak on it too much yeah. yet. The one thing I know is that my boy Jeff Rosenstock went ahead and put himself out there and really made a lot of change. And wow. I don't know. That's one of my favorite humans on earth. And one of the reasons is because I've maybe never met someone with more of a like, I don't know, fuck it kind of attitude um he not to say they're careless decisions he cares very much and he inspects those decisions very Mm -hmm. much but um you know guy will give up a lot to stand up for shit and usually it works the other way in his favor and i give i give him a fucking shit ton of credit he also probably broke it on my going off track interview i know it's uh oh man you didn't get that out there not hot topic news (laughs) but yeah yeah i know i know i'm bad at that I love it. That's okay. All right. Well, you know, can we talk about sports? Oh, wait. I got one more. I I, I worked really hard on this. Okay. Paul what do we got? Story. Oh, Paul yeah, Simon. Yeah, yeah, Paul yeah, Simon. Yeah, yeah. 
Paul Simon. <laughs> and, okay. then, and then we can get Paul. He loves the Mets. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's him. Him and Seinfeld together. Yeah. But uh, all right. So in 2001, we talked about how Paul Simon sold his publishing to so- Sony Music. Substantial fee at the time. Sony later sold a substantial stake to BGM. Whatever the heck that means. Do what you want with that acronym. Make it mean whatever you want it to mean. But recently, Simon was on the Smartless podcast because that's where all musicians go to break the news. And he talked about what it is like to sell your catalog. The good part about it is none of my children are interested in running that company mm-hmm. or managing that company or, you know, so and I wouldn't want them to. I can understand it's not in, not of interest to them. So there's no use to leave it to them because uh they don't want it anyway. And then they'll just, so that means they'll go and sell it. So I'm better off selling it now and giving them the money uh, rather yeah. than, rather than holding on, holding on to it. That's, that's the good part of it. Hmm. The bad part is you actually sort of lose contact with a thing that's part of you. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Mm, it's mm. a little, it's a little bit, it, Put it this way: it's it's good financially and psychologically. It's a tiny bit of a wound. That's kind of what we've been talking mm. about. But I I want to dive further into the the kind of a bit of of a wound because I I can see where these songs were how you were able to be like, hey world, this is me. This is what I feel inside. And then there's a price tag on. I don't know. Kind of kind of take me inside that balance there. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense of ownership. Right. Like you wrote it, especially someone like Paul Simon, who's not just like I performed on this song or something like every single one of these. He could probably trace back to like, oh, this was this coffee shop on the Upper West Side where I first had this idea and saw this thing. And then it turned into this and this and this like like really like they are kind of part of you. And then you kind of give them away to everybody else, but you still own them you know, to a point. So I think that's where the wound is, where it's like, I think with a lot of things, as you get older, it's like a letting go of something, you know, Um, the kind of cool thing about it is, you know, it's a little bit of a false sense of security in a sense, because once you put it out there on the level, like Paul Simon put it out there, like it's out there. And as much as you'd like to think of it, it's not like yours anymore. It's kind of everybody's, you know, and sort of the beautiful part about music, if you want to frame it like that, you know, is that sure, you give up a piece of yourself, but you give it to like everybody and you give it to this like huge community. Um, so that that's a really cool upside of it. Um, and then I like what he said in the other sense, because, you know, we spend a good portion of this podcast talking about people fighting over the rights of music. You know what I mean? Like court cases dealing with like, you know, the labels versus the kids of artists and the great grandkids of artists who are taking care of estates and, you know, and the thing that happens is, you know, two generations away when someone really doesn't care and it's all about money, then, you know, the whole idea that like your family is going to handle it with such care and grace, like kind of goes away anyway. And, you know, I can see it like what's a more functional thing to give to your kids, like 
give you this messy thing to deal with and potentially cause conflicts with your other siblings or something? Or should I just hand you each a fucking buttload of cash and just just let's let's move on and and actually like you know die happily together so i i don't know like like we talk about it a lot i totally see where people are coming from especially in the twilight of their life when like the last thing you want to deal with is massive conference calls and things like that about like you know where your music should go who's allowed to use it how much they're paying to use it um oh you know this 17 year old kid just uh sampled the um, you know fucking i don't know no. like any any paul simon song like like no. choose from the hundreds and and you know now you're in the middle of that and instead you know you're sitting on 200 million dollars and making more music paul simon still makes music yeah so you know i love it and i think the clip you just played is one of the more astute and warmer kind of ways to put it, you know, like that was, that was sweet to hear actually. Yeah. And we hadn't heard anybody comment on it publicly. They've all kind of made these deals and kind of run from, from yeah. the, for the Hills. So to sure. hear someone actually be out there on front street about it was, was kind proper of New Yorkers. You know what I'm saying? It. That's how it goes. Gets right to it. And sadly he's like losing hearing and like may not be able to like play live again, which is like, mm. I, I feel like, that next to the backdrop of selling it, it, it it's got it's got to be really hard at his age. So. Yeah. All right. Now let's move on to baseball here, Benny. Shall we? Please. As we get into the MLB postseason, that just Ooh. has that just sent me my mind with this postseason. I'm just over it. But <laughs> let's get to it for for the people that are still heavily invested, especially in the Philadelphia area. All right. The baseball and the and the. ALCS. Oh, shoot, I thought I was going to go with the Phillies here first. You know what? Fuck it. Let's go with the Phillies. So they entered the NLCS as the heavy favorites to beat the Diamondbacks. Um, and they caused a whole lot of thunder against Arizona early. Um, and then they were able to take the 5-2 series lead. Uh, Bryce Harper did his thing. Nick Castellanos, who I don't know if you've seen that thing on the internet. They'll always play like something sad. Like, like the, the announcer will talk about this old player like did this and then they like tragically passed away and then they'll like cut the nick castellanos and he'll just like hit a homer yeah he's been doing it all the time it's been it's been great but uh philly's up uh one nothing in this series um and after the dodgers have been uh, eliminated their path to the fall class it's not gonna be easy because the you know the 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 d-backs really like fought their way here, like the Brewers series, the Dodgers series, and, and now they're here. So what do you make of this and the Phillies being up one nothing here? I don't know. So, I mean, let's go back a little bit because I think people are talking like this is like super new territory in baseball, and it's not. You know, I saw that, what, that the team, the Mariners team who won the, the most games in history get knocked mm-hmm. out of the playoffs. The Yankees, a number of times when they won hundreds of games, like, you know, got knocked out of the playoffs. Baseball is more than any other sport, a a game of runs, you know what I mean? And certain types of players and certain types of uh, rosters. And the thing that is going on right now that I think with the advent of the wild card is getting more and more pronounced is that there are great regular season teams and there are great playoff teams and they don't necessarily have the same sauce. You know, like the when you're talking about a three game series as opposed to a 162 game slog, 
the things that make a player great over time, you know, you just catch them on the wrong weekend or you catch, you know, one pitcher on the great game and there it goes. And that's just playoff baseball. So the thing we're seeing, I don't necessarily like, I don't know if it's really, um, let's say funneling the the best talent in the league to the world series. That's definitely not the case. And we should maybe talk about some reseeding rather than this. So we could do it a little more fairly, but also at the same time, like what were you expecting? You know, like, like you start opening up the pool like this, you start making the variables more and more, and then your diamondbacks are going to slip through your teams with, one, two really strong starting pitchers and a frisky lineup just hits someone at the wrong time. But you talk about the Dodgers and like, hey, like I could have told you Clayton Kershaw might have had a bad game. You know what I mean? Just yeah. just from watching baseball, I could have told and you history. that might have happened. So like, you know, kind of on you, <laughs> like like with that one, you know, yeah. Dodgers, you fucked that up yourself. Like, I think you do probably have to start Clayton Kershaw if he's healthy. Yeah. He's an all-time great. You kind of got to do it. But are we shocked? <laughs> you know, yeah. it sucks. I've always loved Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. Always pulling for him. But, like, you know, the historical precedence was there. Like, we can't totally blame him. And then, you know, as far as the Braves go, uh, what, what was the famous... Um, the manager who said, you're you're only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. That's right. You know, and the Braves are down uh, two of their three best starting pitchers going into this series. You know, like you just catch you cat, caught it at the wrong time. And the Phillies have one of those lineups that's been, you know, plugging away for the last couple months of the season. You know, they paid a lot of money to these guys. It's not like they fell into it like Trey Turner and Schwarber and Bryce Harper, Castellanos, these are all like well-founded, well-paid MLB players that like should be playing well in the postseason. And they are, you know, Bryce Harper was on the, he was the LeBron James of baseball like 15 years ago, you know? So like, this is what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, And, you know, I got to say, I actually kind of, if you give me an all Texas series, you know, Sorry, I'm from New Jersey. I'm rooting yeah, yeah. against both of you, basically. You know, um, and of course, I'm not really pulling for the Phillies. I kind of find myself in this weird bag pulling for the Diamondbacks, which yeah. is funny. I've been to a couple Diamondbacks games, and I just went to one this year. Uh, I was I was telling my friend Eric, who lives out in Phoenix, about a year ago. I'm look I'm like look out for this Corbin Carroll. <laughs> so I've actually kind of got this weird. Uh, uh, affinity for the Diamondbacks right now. Well, let me tell you this. If I hear one more time, people talk about the Braves being the 27 Yankees offensively. Yeah. That's that. That's all I heard for the past month. But, and I, I just want to run through. So last time we did this, we talked, we had our power rankings for best baseball teams heading into the postseason. Yeah. Braves, 27 Yankees comparison, all that stuff. They're out of here. Orioles did what the Orioles do in the postseason. They're out of here. Dodgers, same thing of, of recent me- memory. Rays, I mean, come on. And then the Mariners. So none of the top five that we were talking about yeah. literally one month ago are still alive. The and Phillies were kind of rising up that at right. sticks, but right. nobody And else. I think Mariners and Orioles are those teams that I think like both teams, really young and should should see this season as a success. 
you know, the fact that they solidly made the postseason and stuff, I think they should see as a success. The other teams, not so much. But now going into tonight, right? We got the Rangers up 2-0. We got Phillies Diamondbacks game two tonight. We got uh, Merrill Kelly going against Nola. Both kind of, you know, hardcore plug away uh, pitchers. So I could see a pretty offensive game tonight. Um, but tough game for the Snakes in Philly, you know, like like we've seen as much as I hate a Philadelphia crowd as a New York fan, tough crowd to play in front of. Okay. I'll give you credit for that. Um, Rangers play Wednesday. We got Christian Javier versus Scherzer. So this is Scherzer's big defining game. I think of the last couple seasons, right? Like last few seasons, ever since the nationals run, Mm -hmm. you know, he's been marred by injury trades, expectations, big contracts, here he is, game three of a fucking big series against the Astros. This is this is when the all timers all time, you know. So so let's see. I think that's a lot. Uh, I love the the Scherzer Verlander thing going on in this series. It's a lot of fun with two all time great pitchers. Where do you see this uh, winding up? Well, I have a, a a question for you to follow this up. What yeah. do we make of it in? Because we always like to do the legacy conversation when it comes to sports. What do we make of the Scherzer Verlander joining on to this team in late summer for this playoff push, and then they get to count this as a championship for them if they do it when they weren't there for the entire season? Now I know deals happen, but n- like this was the player empowerment to the max. Well, and I just think it's like a kind of an interesting thing happening. Verlander is a little different because, yeah. cause like he, he kind of went back home. Yeah. You know, that was one of those situations. Like he's already proved his worth with that team, um, which, which I think, but you know, are we really going to, what is it? This is 1991. <laughs> what are we 80? Like, we're really going to talk shit about this. Like, I think one of the smartest things any baseball team did this season was the Mets blowing it up. Like what, like, what were you going to do? Like, even though I think one of those toughest things for a team to do is go into a season with the kind of expectations and money the Mets did and actually going ahead and being like, you know what? Didn't work. Cut our losses, cut them now. And let's get, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s fucking little brother who's, you know, looking like the the, the business in a couple yeah. seasons and actually get some talent back. So I thought the Mets were in a good position to do it. And, you know, these were the teams that jumped like. Uh, but, you know, historically, I hate the Astros. Uh, historically, I hate the Rangers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I I'm, I'm really like. It's strange that I'm an officially an NL fan uh, and to continue on with the playoffs. It's funny. You, you get me talking baseball and having to do all this ba- baseball research, and I become a a drive time host on WFAN or some shit like that. And I'm like, are we going to count these championships, man? We got it. Listen, <laughs> can we get through a sports segment without aggregating a little bit? I mean, we can. It's It's hot. The nature of the business, Denny. You know this. You know this. Uh, I used to know this. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on over to the NBA. And since our last pod, the NBA has just been turned on its head completely. Some surprise moves. Let's get you caught up to speed real quick. Long story short here. Damian Lillard shockingly ended up a Milwaukee Buck going out to uh, out 
uh, uh, to Portland in the deal was Drew Holiday, who the Blazers then flipped uh, for Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Phoenix was also involved in the deal. They sent DeAndre Ayton to Portland. Uh, Nurkic went back to the desert. Uh, so, yes, the Milwaukee starting five right now looks like Giannis, Damian Lillard, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, and probably Malik Beasley. Boston uh, lands Drew Holiday as I mentioned, and, and it looks like their starting five is going to be Drew Holiday, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, and Al Hortford, uh, two heavyweights at the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, and the you know you may be wondering, oh, Philadelphia 76ers, what did they do? Well, they're still holding on to James Harden. Of all three of these, Harden staying put in Philadelphia, uh, Boston going out after the, uh, the Bucks get uh, Damian Lillard and getting Drew Holiday, or... Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks landing Damian Lode. Which one of these was the biggest surprise to you? The biggest surprise? Yes. I think the biggest surprise was Lillard to the Bucks for me because, you know, I'm not a connected NBA insider and I'm, you know, connected to the propaganda machine. I was being fed that this like Miami thing is some done deal that's like definitely going to happen. And I kind of like, Sometimes I assume that's the truth because I'm like, yeah, sure. Pat Riley and all them probably had like a, you know, fancy rooftop Miami dinner somewhere and made yeah. some promises and it's already a done deal, you know? So I thought it was. And I was like, and then, you know, when, when Dame got traded, I think Drew winding up in Boston was immediately on the table. You know, they, they knew there was the assets uh, and the need, especially, you know, after giving up Marcus Smart. So I think the biggest surprise, if you're going to um, answer that question, was Dame to the Bucks. Yeah, a, I, I think that it was a a a fourth option, right? There would have been surprising that uh, Philadelphia was not like here's here, here's our chance to move James Harden to potentially Portland to try to get Drew Holiday back in the fold. But uh, to this, I don't young- I don't think you should. I, I listen. We got to talk about the reality of the James Harden trade market yeah. right now. I don't think it's, it's strong. It's yeah. not strong. Yeah. <laughs> and why should it be? Yeah. I very much wonder, you know, he's been like, you can't come out the way he did. And, and, and we covered that earlier. Um, you can't come out the way he did and then now be backtracking, being in camp and all of that stuff and being like, it, it's a cordial relationship. You flew all the way to China, my guy, to be like, get me out of here to, to yeah. sell your wine and to make an announcement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, but I think the big question now is like, who comes out on top, you know, yeah. as far as this goes. And like, the one thing I think you may be wrong about is this starting five. I'm not sure. Boston's going to run Porzingis and Horford in the same lineup. And if they do, I don't think it's going to be very long before we're seeing the lineup of Derek White, Drew Holiday, Brown, Tatum, and one of the big guys on the floor. That makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, But Boston gave up a lot of depth and they're, you know, now in the position of here, Peyton Pritchard, you asked for it. Here's 25 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and a, a couple, you know, they lost Grant Williams. They lost Marcus Smart. They lost a, a lot of their depth pieces. So I think that's where uh, Boston is, Is you know, if any anywhere they're suspect, it's there. But you could say the same thing for the Bucks because, you know, when I look at this starting five, I see this, you know, Lillard, Middleton, 
Giannis Brooke, like super solid. How could you not love that? You know, Bobby Portis sliding in and some of those four or five minutes like that. That's great. But what are we doing at the two here? You know, like it's probably like, Malik Beasley, unfortunately. Like it's Malik Beasley. Yeah. We're we're tossing in they took a flyer on Ty Ty Washington. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that's not gonna do it. Campaign, you don't want to yeah. give the ball to too much. You know, I know that's somebody they picked up. So with the exception of like Marjan Beauchamp, who you still really haven't seen it. Surprisingly yeah. turning into like a very solid rotational player, you know, like I don't know what's happening with those minutes. And I'm yeah. a little concerned about him. I do think Pat Connaughton is good for 30 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes of good basketball a night. But, you know, he sometimes really doesn't give you that other thing you need with a lineup like this. Now, yeah. I don't know. I, I think both of these teams, considering that circumstance, are some of the biggest uh, contenders for, you know, the, mm-hmm. the the buyout market and and stuff like that. Like, I think they're two of the, the big boys in the East going there. But you got to say after these trades that Boston, Milwaukee are clearly, you know, the cream of the crop in the East and right up there with maybe the Nuggets and Suns as the, mm-hmm. you know, best teams in the league, right? Which makes me feel like either Boston Wit or Milwaukee are not going to make the conference finals because that's just the way that things have kind of gone. The yeah. Last five How years. many teams are you going to put yeah. in there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I, I know on, on this podcast, we have had some questions for John Horst in, in terms of like how he's like drafted, but his he knows where his tenure is going to be defined. His tenure defined uh, first by the Drew Holiday trade that worked out beautifully. And then if the Damian Lillard trade uh, pays dividends as well, and then you lock up Giannis for uh, almost the duration of, of his career, that's successful. And unfortunately, it makes it kind of hard to fire a GM uh, eventually because nothing lasts in in, in the league. It, it kind of makes it hard to uh, uh, write that next chapter for the Bucks when this guy has that much job security. What do you uh, you like this AJ Green? Oh my God! Well, listen, <laughs> I, oh, I oh, that summer league. Your voice is to... buckling. Your voice is buckling. Oh God. Oh, he doesn't. Man. He doesn't. He doesn't like. It. Oh, but uh, but yeah, no, a a, a very interesting uh, top to bottom thing there. They made the debut on Sunday of Giannis, Damian Lillard. Got to say that pick and roll. Then then yeah. they kick it yeah, out to Bobby listen. Portis for a three. I love it. I mean, when we're talking about like the you know the very basic fundamentals of basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Like, forget everything else with Milwaukee. They have Damian Lillard and Giannis, yeah, yeah. which like, you know, in itself solves. I don't want to say every offensive problem a team could have, but a lot. And especially yeah. when, you know, I think Middleton, because of his injuries, you forgot what a really great scorer he can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's Brooke? Lo- who's going to be covering Brooke Lopez in the corner this year? You can't yeah. anymore. Like his shots are just going to get easier and easier. So on offense, I mean, like, like it seems like a, a sure thing. And then I think you just got to hope for the fact that, like, you know, guys are slipping past the the front court of the Bucks to meet Giannis and Brooke. Maybe that'll make up for it and keep them in the, you know, top 10, 15 defensive range, which they're going to need to be if they want to advance in the playoffs. And on the coaching front, you know, head, head coach Adrian Griffin, uh, first year, 
but he, he he made a very key addition to his staff, I think, before this deal even went down. And Terry Stotts, Damian Lillard's yeah, longtime right. head coach in Portland, had a lot of success together front of the bench next to him. So that shows up a lot of questions I think that people had about Adrian Griffin before he even coaches the game. Yeah, and you even heard the comments from both Giannis and Dame after the first game, which was basically like, they both seemed surprised. Yeah. And both of their comments were basically like, you know what? That's a lot of space for me. I've never had that much space before. You know, like, like, so it really is like, you know, maybe we're in straight Kobe Shaq land with these two where it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you have yeah. the potential there. These are two of the top 10 players in the NBA, like unequivocally. So, you know, uh, you put those two people on a team and you work the rest out, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so, so the logic is there and I'm, I'm honestly really excited to see it. Yeah. You got any hot, what are we talking? Are we talking about the nets or some hot takes? No, let's, let's, let's do some, some nets here because, you know, they, they, they held with the aforementioned Philadelphia 76ers and preseason on Monday night. Um, the, the Ben Simmons talk, you know, when he's engaged defensively, people are very excited about it. Uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets propaganda about Ben Simmons and what this team could be. It has Bridget, Cam Johnson. It's all there. I'm at sure least it's more than it. workout videos. This year, yeah. You know? At least it's putting up 12 points against a team from, uh, Europe. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, Nets outlook ahead of, uh, we're one week away from the start of the regular season. What do you make of everything? You know, here here's where it is with the Nets right now. Yeah. Like, we got to be excited, but also temper expectations with Simmons at the same time, yeah. right? Like, you got to love, you know, the thing that I actually do believe, it's like, if Sean Marks is talking, if Ben Simmons is talking, if the team is talking, if an agent is talking, honestly, it's like... Whoosh, whoosh, like, I could give a shit. I've been hearing about Ben Simmons for way too long to pay that any merit. The things that are coming out now that are interesting is is, is the teammates. Mm-hmm. And some teammates who have a reputation of being kind of straight shooters. You know what I mean? Like a Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges. Like, these guys who sort of talk plainly and honestly when they talk. They're all seemingly excited. And I don't think players like that are going to go out of their way to make those comments unless there's some weight behind it. So I do think at least in practice, they're seeing a highly athletic ball handling six foot 10 player out there. I don't know exactly what that means again yet. Cause, cause the one thing we haven't seen it on the offensive end again, besides for layups, dunks, putbacks. I saw one fade away in a game that looked mildly encouraging, but uh, you know, until there's a, performance track record of any of that stuff i don't know if we're getting it and we're also looking still at a clunky free throw shooter so do i think like oh this looks great all nba ben simmons is back the nets are some kind of contender no i do not i need not i don't need weeks i need months of some kind of consistent level of something from ben simmons to buy any of that and I think it's fair, you know what I mean, based on what I've seen in the last few years. But I am excited by it. And I do think at the very least, you have this kind of encouraging starting lineup of, you know, when you have a Ben Simmons, Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton kind of rolling in and out. And then, you know, that's a 
a fun starting five, you know? And then when you can sort of loop in your other rotational pieces, this year will, I assume will be Cam Thomas because there's not a lot of guys who can just come in and score on this team. They're, he's going to be needed, and he's getting a lot of run in the preseason. I think you'll still see Royce O'Neal and Finney Smith coming in, like playing those two to four minutes. And, you know, the next part of it is where I actually get excited. Because the one thing early on in the Sean Marks era I was impressed with prior to the super team era, he was defined by kind of recreating low level talent to full rotation players, you know, a la your, your Joe Harris types. And I'm seeing guys like, you know, Trendon Watford is only 22. Darius Baisley, who's only 23 kind of slipping into one of those roles this year. And actually my prediction would be Watford. You know, they have a lack of size. Clowney is a, an interesting rookie, but still super raw. So I think Watford is going to take those minutes from him. And I, I'm seemingly seeing someone who who could open up 20, 25 minutes for themselves and work themselves into a good two, three-year NBA contract, which is kind of the Sean Marks style you know, and, and getting these guys on reasonable deals before they turn into bigger things, you know, in this. So um, I'm encouraged by stuff like that. I have a reasonable expectation on the season. I think the Nets are in, let's say, that third tier of Eastern teams. I think we're in the, you know, you have your top two, which is established, right? Like that's going to be what it is. But then I think you have your next tier where I'm kind of putting the Knicks, Cavs, the Heat, and let's say maybe the Sixers, depending on how this pans out. That's that second tier who I see as your full play and you know playoff teams. But then there's your third tier where I'm putting the Nets, and I'm putting them with the Raptors. I'm putting them with the Hawks, with the Hornets, with the Magic, uh, the teams with the Bulls. You know, the teams that could sit in a seven, eight, nine seed make the playoffs and have a little fun and build on this year. So I think there's a reasonable expectation for the net season. And um, I can honestly say this is the easiest team to root for in maybe three or four years. Here's my bold prediction for the nets. Okay. <gasps> I think the nets are going to make a big run <gasps> in big the, run. in the mid season tournament. Ah, <laughs> we're mid-season tournament, tournament team. team. Okay. I think okay. I think they maybe you know scientifically one of the big things that came out while we were away is that oh load management maybe doesn't help guys. I think you, you may see some teams depending on the level of buy-in and everything that they get for the midseason tournament. There are wins to be had for the Nets, and there is a Ben Simmons showcase that may happen on December 9th in Vegas if they can make the run. How about that? I love it. I love it. I think you're right. I think the Nets are the type of team that could make a run in something like that because, you know, what else do they have? And some yeah. boys on that team can, what do you, what are you getting if you win that? hundred grand? Yeah. hundred grand a piece. I think like a scratch off. <laughs> no, no, no. It's real. Like they're actually, they're actually, wait here. Let's, we gotta, we gotta Google this. I'm pretty fast. sure it's $150,000 per right. Per player, which for a NBA guy, I, I don't know how much that moves the needle. That's not even. But I also think that there is a potential s playoff spot on the line. Oh, as listen. Well. Yeah. The team that wins the tournament will be crowned with the NBA Cup. Each player on the winning team will take home 
$500,000. Which to you and me is a lot. Players on the second place team will get 200 grand each. Players on losing semifinals teams, 100 grand each. Quarterfinals, 50 grand each. So I got to tell you, man, like half a million dollars to to a lot of these two-way players. I mean, you got your trend in Watfords and guys like that are, you know, they're coming here for for a million two, million three. You know, you're literally like jumping up their yearly salary by by 40, 50% by by playing in this yeah. tournament and winning. So mm. you, you know, you might find find some motivated players. Gotta Bold say. predictions. I love it. All right. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Follow us on all the social platforms at the tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Ooh. please. Uh, and you can follow the big man on Instagram at Benny Horowitz. Kept that tour content fresh up there. <laughs> Benny, you got anything else? I tried. I tried. <laughs> Everyone, everybody love everybody. As important as as important as it's ever been. And 11 days till a little history's been made. You've been listening to and watching the tune-up.